welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of 1% Better on the first day of 2020. 2020, it sounds kind of weird. I was thinking yesterday about the millennium 20 years ago and what I was doing that night and 2020 certainly seemed like a long way away, and it was. But um, hopefully you had a good night last night. Hopefully you're having a good day today. If you're listening to the podcast on New Year's Day, you might be out for a walk. You might be doing that first run of the year, clearing your head, all of the above, any of the above. Whatever it is, great to have you checking this out. Myself, I was asleep at about 9.30 last night and woke at about one minute to midnight with fireworks going off somewhere nearby and stayed up for about two minutes and then went back to sleep. I'm just at a different point around New Year's than I might have been uh, 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago even. But I love getting uh, an early night and getting up early on New Year's Day. Uh, Just another day for everybody as well and starting it off with something that I had on my list to do and that this podcast this episode has been on my list to release for a while but I thought it might fit well for today because my guest Aoife O'Brien is focused on coaching organizational behavior and empowering others she has her own business empowerment coaching and we talk about how she became a coach herself we talk about what her passions are, how she found her values, and that led her to go down this route, the tough decision of moving away from a well-paid job, a corporate job, to go out on your own. And some of the harsh realities, I suppose, when you do do that, that uh, your door isn't being bet down for with customers coming at you, and that you have to kind of work on that. So we talk about all of those things in this episode, and I think, you know, it might be useful to think about some of the lessons that Aoife shared during this one, because you're probably thinking it's a new year, you have new goals, you have new challenges, it could be to do some of the same things Aoife has done, or something totally different, but it'll still require a level of awareness and being in tune and in touch with reality in lots of ways, and preparing yourself for the challenges ahead and we do talk about happier at work as well because if you are still working in a corporate job and you might find challenges around meaning and purpose in there Aoife has her own podcast called happier at work which dives into that and has a number of episodes released so all links to her site and her linkedin and to her podcast uh, are on the show notes at the very end of the episode page for this one And I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback to start the new year with this episode. Probably will try and get another one out on Friday, I'll see, and then get back into the normal cadence of a Friday release uh, next week for a few weeks, because then we'll finish up season four, sorry, season three, and start season four shortly afterwards, starting to do interviews for that already, revising, redesigning the website, a few tweaks and changes to keep things interesting and challenging for sure as well so there you go i hope you enjoy this one if you do the most important thing you can do as it relates to helping me uh, get the reach out is well there's multiple things one of them is 
subscribe to the podcast on iTunes because that's where most people listen. And the higher, the more subscriptions, the higher you are ranked, and that leads to other folks discovering it. And they say podcasting uh, listenership goes up a lot around January time frame when people are doing maybe more activities and combining that with listening to a show. So all helps. Really appreciate it if you do. That's my one call to action for you. Subscribe on iTunes or any of the uh, apps that you listen on and that would be wonderful. So enjoy this episode with Aoife O'Brien. Good luck. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of 1% Better. I'm delighted to introduce Aoife O'Brien who is an entrepreneur with her business The Empowerment Coaching and also studying in the areas of organizational behavior and to, I had to remind her beforehand that she has her own podcast called Happier at Work. Aoife, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Rob. It's a pleasure to be here. So Aoife, your podcast Happier at Work, that term is very interesting to me because I certainly always trying to become happier at work and trying to help other people uh, reach that as well. Where did that idea come from? Talk to me about what uh, what drove you to create that and also maybe maybe the term itself, what, what it means to you. Yeah, that's a great question because um, some people think it's quite fluffy and they think happier at work, oh, it's kind of all, it's all the kind of fluffy side of things. And other people believe that you can't really be happy at work, that, you know, work is the place you go, you do work, and they're a bit suspicious of people who are happier at work. I suppose for me, it just means creating an environment where people can thrive and to reach their full potential. So for organizations to create an environment for people to maximize their potential and it increases productivity and increases engagement, that's really what it means to me. And when you said that, and I, Again, it comes up a lot for me that if people are almost meant to feel under pressure and stressed at work because if they don't, they doesn't it doesn't feel like they're they're working. Do you get that a lot? And how do you kind of get people to change their mindset around that? That's a, yeah, another another great question there. Um, I think it's this whole perception that work is work, and like I said, people seem to be suspicious of anyone who is a bit happier at work. But there are some people who really, really enjoy their jobs and I suppose it's taken a whole life approach and if there's an area of your life that you're not happy with you always and it's knowing that you always have a choice you always have a choice if you are in a job that you really really dislike or you're staying because of the money just reframing your thinking around the fact that you have a choice so I have a choice when I wake up in the day and telling yourself that you choose to go into work because you're making money to support your family because, you know, it's getting you towards that next stage in your life that you've actively decided. If you choose not to do that, then that's another matter altogether. And then you, you kind of need to look at, well, what steps can I take to get out of that situation? Mm-hmm. Was there a point in your career where you were asking yourself that question, am I happy at work? Um, I worked, I've, I've worked actually, I've had quite a... Um, a long corporate career. So I worked for about 15 years in the market research industry. And that's kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, that this whole concept of being happier at work is quite fluffy, but my background is very much numbers-based and research-based and, and data. And I love data. I love numbers. And that kind of, I suppose, led me on to doing the master's as well. Research, uh, sorry, um, it's a taught master's, but there's a heavy research element to it in, in terms of the dissertation so I worked in London I was 
absolutely loved my job when I worked in London, really, really loved it. I left to go and um, work in Australia. At the time, you had to apply before you turned 30. You had to apply for your visa to go and work in Australia. I think they've changed it now. I might even be 35 now. But at that time, I had to apply for that visa before I turned 30. And so I set off from London um, off to Australia. I traveled around for six months around Southeast Asia. I landed in Perth and I worked there for six months. Absolutely loved my job. It was totally out of my comfort zone doing something completely different. I was working in recruitment um, in, in the kind of mining industry uh, for want of a, of a better idea. So we were recruiting contractors to go and and fulfill contracts in the mines in Western Australia. Super interesting and a fantastic company to work for. Um, and again, so that's the kind of two experiences where I, where I really, really loved the, the place that I worked. And then I had a couple of experiences where I didn't enjoy work as much or not even that I didn't enjoy it. I, maybe I like, you know, really, really liked the role, but there were some elements within the roles that I had that weren't quite sitting right with me. And I just got the, the seed was planted that there must be a better way. There must be a different way to do this. And I started doing a bit of research around like HR, how can HR make things better for people in work? What kind of questions should you be asking? What kind of expectations should you have in work as an individual as to what you can do differently? And I was so fascinated by how people interact in the workplace, what kind of promises are being made and, and you know, integrity, I suppose. So when those promises are being made um, and they're not being delivered on, then, you know, what is the impact of that? Um, so I suppose over the course of probably about six years, I was thinking of all of these different ideas and kind of formulating plans and things like that. And I reached a stage where I just thought, I, I don't really have that sense of meaning and purpose in the role that I'm doing anymore. And it's definitely not capitalizing on all of these strengths that I know I have. And yeah, I decided to leave at that stage. And I pursued then a diploma in coaching, in executive and life coaching. And then I started and kind of there was a slight overlap here, which was um, quite difficult at the time. And I started a master's then in organizational behavior in DCU. Uh, and I'm into second year in that master's now and absolutely loving it. I'm always interested in asking the question of when somebody decides to leave their well-paying job, even if it is making them miserable, what approach they take to come to that decision? Do they wake up in the morning and say, right, that is it? Or do they maybe to your point of being into the detail and the data do you kind of crunch some numbers and <clears throat> excuse me and, and come up with a an answer to, to it then so what was your thought process around coming to that decision it was something i'd been thinking of for a while and i had an honest conversation with my boss about three three months prior to handing in my notice i had an honest conversation and i said on paper this role looks amazing i was on the management team um, in Ireland, I was delighted, you know, on paper, it, it looked like a promotion on paper, it looked like a fantastic opportunity. But the reality of the day to day job was it really, really wasn't capitalizing on my strengths. Uh, I was coming to this role with a huge amount of global experience, a huge amount of dealing with clients of turning data into stories. And I, I knew that I had so much more to give and I just felt that I didn't have that opportunity. And it, it sort of built up over time. 
And there was a lots of little things. I found there were some elements within the organization that were a bit toxic as well. Mm. And it just came to a head. And I thought, I can't do this anymore. And I need to leave. And you managed to to stick with that. And I suppose in the early stages after doing that, you mentioned maybe just before we came on what you thought life might be like straight after is different is different than, than what it turns out to be. And I think that's important for everybody to know that is jumping out. When you look yeah. back on it now, would was there anything you might have done a little bit differently before taking that leap? Well, it's funny because when I was considering leaving, I was looking at lots of different options. And over the years, I looked at different options as well, because there were times in work when I was happy and times when I was really really pissed off to be perfectly frank and um at the times that I was pissed off I was looking at doing an MBA I was looking at oh, what other roles are out there what other opportunities and you know I was just considering all of my options and that's I suppose over the course of a few years um you know when things weren't weren't going so well at work I was looking at my different options and then when it came to handing in my notice like I said I had had that conversation but this was the first time I'd ever left a job where I had nothing to go to. So I left a job in London, sorry, I left a job in Dublin to go and work in London. I left a job in London to go traveling and to work in Australia. And I left a job in Australia to come home back to Dublin or, well, to travel. Um, and I could have ended up in New York or, or Dublin or London. And as it happens, I, I decided to come back to Dublin. Um, so that was a big thing for me in itself. And I, did, I was actually unemployed then for a year. I was looking at, at different options. I was looking at what, what kind of path to take. And, you know, uh, as I had mentioned before, we, we kind of came on air and said, have you got enough savings to last you? And I suppose in my head, I was thinking, I have plenty of money. I have money to take me, you know, probably the money could have lasted me a year. But there were like we were kind of saying, there are other factors that I hadn't really considered, such as it's not the case that you set up for business and then clients come knocking at your door because you press publish on your website. Um, you know, it, it takes time to start building a business and for people to, you know, there's the, the, the no like trust factors for people to, first of all, get to know you, get to like you and then trust you enough to give you money um, to provide them with the service. Mm. Very interesting that the no like trust pieces is very true and I think important to, to share. Um, and it is the message that comes out a lot, you know, that to plan uh, ahead and and have a bit of a safety net, I suppose. But but in in I suppose in a flipping it around, did that make you more ambitious or driven to be successful to to move forward when you know when you started to realize the door isn't being knocked down with clients. It's it's funny. I'm I'm not hugely driven by money anyway. I need enough money to live on. So money for me is not a huge driver. I think seeing results that clients get, that's a huge driver of satisfaction for me. And if you think about it this way, the more people know you and the more people who do business with you, the more people who you can help. So that I suppose that's more of a driver for me than that, you know, the wolves are, are coming to the door or whatever like that. Like money has never been something that uh, that I'm afraid of or that I'm motivated by at the same time. You went with the title empowerment coaching and yeah. empowering is seems to be very, very important for you. Where did that come from? And maybe talk me through how you've used that to 
your advantage. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. Um, it, it was kind of almost by accident that I came up with that name. Uh, I was doing a start your own business course with the local enterprise office. And as a follow on, we had some um, business networking that we went to. And part of that was, you know, you need to come up with a name and you need to come up with a niche. And for me, coming up with a name was a huge blocker. I was like, I don't know what to call the business. I really don't know what to call it. What will I do? And it just sort of came to me one time. And I was like, how about if I call it empowerment coaching? Because that's really what I want to do is to give people back their power and when I first started the business, what I thought the big focus on was going to be on individuals and kind of coming back to the whole theme of of being better, being happier at work. It's I'm kind of getting clear on the message now. I want to create environments where people can thrive. So helping individuals is one side of it, but it's really helping organizations to hire the right people, to retain their staff and to create a positive environment where people are highly productive and they're highly engaged with the work as well. And in terms of the word empowerment, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's turned into a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but but I think so is the word coaching as well. So it's it's kind of like how to differentiate myself, I suppose. Um, and I'm looking at, at changing the name of, of the business as well. But this whole idea of empowerment, it's, to me, what it really means is giving people the power or allowing them to take the power back because everyone has a choice and people should be taking responsibility and they should be the CEOs of their own career if they're an individual. And then from a, from a company's perspective, it's making them or empowering them to make the right decisions. So when it comes to hiring, it's new, it's not about getting bums on seats. It's about having the right people there who will who will really fit in uh, in the work environment that you've created. And, you know, obviously people who don't really care about their people are not going to be interested in speaking to me. So it's really those people who care about individuals and bringing the human back into the workplace. They're the people who are, who are going to want to work with me. You mentioned the word choice a few times and options. And we both, I think, have read, have read or I think you listened to, I was following yeah. you, you said you listened to The Paradox of Choice from yeah, Barry yeah. Schwartz recently. And I re- interviewed him during the week and it'll come out next week. And uh, I'm fascinated about the whole area. I think you, it sounds like you are very interested in decision making and choice as well. Yeah, absolutely. And just on that, the area of happier, we're getting, there's more of a a drive now for fulfillment and happiness at work and purpose, right? What what do you think is the reason behind that explosion uh, in a way or or it becoming popular or buzzwordy or whatever we want to term it? Uh, just from your experience and what you're what you're seeing because it's something i actually asked barry as well now i won't share the barry's answer because i don't want to to tarnish your answer but it's just fascinating to see different perspectives on it yeah um i had a really interesting conversation with someone a few months ago and in it she said that let's say you know skip back to the 60s or the 70s or even the 80s a lot of people's sense of community and their sense of purpose and their sense of meaning came from going to mass, I think is is how she put it. So a lot of people got their sense of meaning and purpose from religion. And that is not really the case anymore. There's obviously still people who go to mass and still people who go to mass on a regular basis. 
but I think more and more people are looking for that that meaning and that that sense of community that used to exist. Uh, and they're looking for that in other places. And there's so many people who are not engaged at work and they're just kind of they're just kind of sticking it out. And I know just, you know, anecdotally um, among my friends, they're they're staying in jobs and they, they don't really want to be there, but they're not doing anything about it. But you're saying they're getting a, maybe a social element out of it to, to try and get some purpose from from being there as opposed to the work they're doing? From my friend's perspective, no, they're just kind of, they're just sort of sticking out. They're probably just doing it for the money. Now, in the um, in the master's, I'm learning about different types of commitment. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly all the different types, but I think there's three or four different types. And there's the commitment that you feel when you have that, that sense of purpose and you really belong and you really want to be there. There's another sense of commitment, like you feel obligated because the company has invested in you in some way. So you feel some sort of a reciprocal obligation to them. And then there's other commitments where, well, it's convenient for me. It's near my house. They're paying me money, you know, those kind of things. But they're not, it's not the type of commitment that will get someone to become, to really fulfill their potential in the role. They're doing it for kind of hygiene, hygienic reasons, I suppose. Like, you know, just kind of satisfying the basic needs. Whereas if you can get someone to really connect with what your organization does on a values level, and if you can satisfy their needs, then they're, you know, they're more likely to give more of themselves to the job and to really fulfill their potential in the role. I'm glad you mentioned values because that was something I did want to touch on. Yeah. It, it's work I do with clients, coaches. Uh, for me, when I kind of discovered or did my own work on it a few years ago and landed on my five or six, uh, knowing them, living by them makes life uh, better for sure. Your own value set, how have you worked on those? How have you identified them? Interested in hearing that story if there's one there? You know, it's so funny because um, when I first learned about values, I thought, oh my God, I've got to this stage in life, <laughs> nearly 40 years old at that time, and I don't have any values. Uh, I, You know, I genuinely thought, I, I don't know what my values are. I don't think I have any. And when I started doing work, and this was on the coaching diploma that I did last year, um, I started doing work on my values. And I just started to note down, what are the things that are important to me? And on the flip side, what are the things that really really annoy me and sometimes that's a little bit easier to pick out you're like okay it really bothers me if people leave a mess behind or if things aren't in order so I really value things like structure and order and organization those type of things I really value connecting with other people like that's a huge huge one for me um you know just talking to you on a podcast talking to people on my podcast I really really enjoy connecting with other human beings on a human level um, I started to note them down. I, I think I wrote out about maybe 25 to 35 list of just words that I, I thought um, reflected who I am as a person. And then I grouped them together and kind of bunched them into things like learning. Learning is a huge thing for me, hence, hence the masters. Um, but I always love to be learning in a job. Authenticity is something that's kind of come out a little bit. I didn't think I was really authentic, but other people say to me, you come across as really, really authentic. And I just, it's something that I, I do without even thinking about it, I suppose. So it's something that's kind of inherent or something that's, that's quite natural in me. Um, 
And I just continue to to notice my behaviors and how they're reflecting my values and, and what kind of things are, are really, really important to me. But they're they're the kind of the ones that really, really stand out. Yeah, it's uh, very interesting that you talk to people in whatever walk of life and ask them the values question or the core values and it kind of paralyzes them in, in some ways that they just don't know what they are. And then when they start thinking about them, it's almost that their mind goes blank because it, there's a pressure on it to identify with them. But yeah, your your, your kind of approaches is certainly valid and other questions of, you know, ask somebody that you're very close to what they think you value tends to throw up a number of good ones as well. And another thing that I forgot to mention is fun. I, I really like to have fun. I like to have a bit of a laugh. And uh, in one of the jobs that I had in Australia, there was that sense of camaraderie and people were sending around, you know, back in back in the day when you had forwarded messages and you had memes and things like that. People were sending those around in the office and it was that kind of atmosphere. It didn't mean that people didn't get work done. We still did our work, but it was just that kind of, you know, jovial, having a bit of a laugh, having the crack, as we say in Ireland, um, you know, I like to to relate things, but you know, I like things to be fun. I don't like things to be serious all the time. Yeah, having fun as a value in work is is kind of new ground. You know, putting that in there, and um, you know, leadership and management can sometimes irk at the th- the thought of it. But I think it's 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 absolutely essential. Um, but in a way, sometimes you, the, the other side of the debate is: should you have to make fun a value, contrive it almost and force it. So it, it's, a, it's a balancing act. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it's it's one of my values. If And I'm trying to think, like, if there was no fun going on in the office at all, what would I think? Well, you can also have fun. It doesn't have to be in the daytime during work. It can be in the evening times after work, whether that's in, in your personal life or socializing with colleagues as well, you know, that you have the fun at a different time when you're not actually delivering projects or, or delivering work to clients and things like that sure definitely it's uh, all part of the experience on the coaching diploma you did uh, i was interested in talking to folks that have done coaching as well and what what stands out for them is there any looking back any specific tool or method that you took from the coaching program that was the most useful for you that now you use in your own work um, to me, well, it's, the, I mean, the values, the, it, it, it comes back to the values um, a lot, but there's other areas as well that kind of come up again and again. And it's, and I don't want to say the idea of balance, I, but I want to kind of consider having a look at your whole life and all of the different areas of your life. And if something goes terribly wrong in one area of your life, it, it's not the end of the world. It's just one area of you know, and in, in the in the wheel of life or in the coaching wheel or whatever you want to refer to it as, it's um there's eight different elements to it, you know, and it's it's making sure I don't want to say making sure it's balanced, but making sure that your priorities are in the right place. So for me at the moment, my my priorities lie in career, which I consider to be the business that I'm building and also the masters that I'm doing. Family is a big one. Uh, I have a new nephew. He's nearly four months old. So that's a kind of a big one for me as well. And health is another one. So making sure that I'm eating the right food, that I'm getting enough sleep, and that I'm moving my body kind of three to five times a week. And so that's one kind of thing that's really, really good. One thing that didn't quite come out for me that I'm 
that I had to do, I suppose, a little bit of work on afterwards was, you know, they talk about self-limiting beliefs all the time. And that's a huge one. And that's something I work a lot with my clients on is, or me, people don't even realize that they have these self-limiting beliefs. And I suppose since doing the coaching diploma, I've learned about what that really means. And when you have self-limiting beliefs, it's, it's your beliefs are being reflected back into you by what's happening in your life. So subconsciously, well, this is, I suppose, the issue that I had was, I was like, how do you know that you have a self-limiting belief? You just have that belief. You don't know any different. And oftentimes it's on a subconscious level. So you don't know, you don't know that you have it. Either. And it's just how you've been operating your entire life. Um, and since then, I've learned that it's it, how things are showing up in your life is a reflection on what you believe subconsciously about yourself. And so if if things start happening and it becomes a bit of a pattern, then you need to identify what, what belief does that relate back to me, whether that's a subconscious belief that you have. And they're the kind of things that you really need to work on, especially when things like there are empowering beliefs that you have on a subconscious level as well. But it's the ones that are holding you back. The, things like I'm not good enough um, I I don't matter to anyone. Those kind of things that, you know, when you start either hearing those voices in your head or when things in your life start happening, like people cancelling plans on you, that kind of stuff, you that, that's the kind of stuff you really need to work on. Yeah, the I presume you probably read and touched on Nancy Klein's work during that coaching diploma, did you? I don't recognise the name. Oh, okay. Um, time, she to, have- time, time to Think is the book that... um. That she had, an, when we did our diploma, it was very front and center almost through a lot of the modules. And, and again, it is talking about limiting beliefs and shining a light on what they are. Because as you said, they're subconscious to a lot of us and tying into language and just through simple coaching questions, kind of turning those limiting beliefs upside down. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's really what it is about. Is First of all, identifying what it is. And it's the patterns of things that are repeatedly happening in your life that you don't want to be happening. They're the subconscious limiting beliefs that you have and you need to do. And you can do something about it. And that's the wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, you're not stuck there. You're not you're not kind of stuck there for life. And there is something you can do. But I haven't I don't recall the name of that book, but um, as in I. I don't, I don't recognize the name of that book so i must definitely check that out definitely yeah i uh i would highly recommend it i've um used it extensively and it's quite simple and practical and I've, I've, I've talked about it on the show before just for for anyone to read it you don't have to be a coach i think it can just shine a light on lots of things that are going on inside our heads that mightn't be true and and that definitely brings me on to the next point almost seamlessly here as if i planned it uh <laughs> you you talk uh, and, and i've got a great bit of publicity on the topic of imposter syndrome over over the last while which is is brilliant for continually raising that up and you know again exposing it for for what it is yeah maybe maybe talk to me a little bit about your i suppose initial interaction with that term and how it became important to you and how you've been able to uh share it and and help others with with kind Uh, of talking about it yeah absolutely so i mean the first time i was kind of introduced to the the term was probably I think three or four years ago up to then I didn't I, I might have vaguely known what it was but um I was recently promoted into this role onto the management team and I thought um you know I just I suppose I started doubting myself I it was something I really really wanted in my career and I was progressing and this was amazing 
And a friend of mine turned around and said, oh, it sounds like you have imposter syndrome. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, well, yeah, that could be it. And it kind of took a while then, you know, because it does take a while to, to kind of find your feet and to, to get used to it. And um, in terms of the, the recent publicity around it, it, it sort of happened almost by accident. So uh, someone in one of my networking groups asked for commentary for a newspaper article. And I thought, I can I can talk about that. I'm happy. You know, I've experienced it in the past and I'm, I'm happy to share my own experiences. So I did. And a couple of years, a couple of months later, the article appeared in the Irish Times, which I wasn't expecting at all. So here's my photograph in the Irish Times and in, in the health section of the Irish Times and myself and three other women um, who are in the network as well. And I was asked then to do a talk uh, a month or two later. And I said, I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. And the lady organizing the event said, um, why don't you talk about imposter syndrome? And I thought, well, don't know if I if I want to talk about that but I know a lot about it so okay I'm going to talk about that so I did a talk on it and then uh, I had a conversation with a business coach and I thought I don't really I'm, I'm really struggling with how I'm going to niche this business and she said well it sounds like your niche has found you you're getting a lot of publicity about imposter syndrome you should just double down on that and I thought okay brilliant I'll um I'll do that and I just started asking for opportunities then to raise raise the profile of imposter syndrome to let people know what it is and how to what to do about it because um, so many people suffer from it. They say 70% of people at some stage in their career are going to suffer from imposter syndrome. And I suppose the thing is there's no need for it because if so many people are feeling it, it's very relatable. And it's, it's both it's, um, the whole concept of vulnerability is becoming really important in business as well and it's showing that level of vulnerability and humility is really important for leaders um so I started uh, asking and I, I got some fantastic opportunities on the radio um, on other podcasts and, and things like that as well and doing more talks on imposter syndrome and the the um the, the feedback has been phenomenal just you know people who had never heard of it before just saying thank you so much for giving us the name thank you so much for explaining some really practical tips on how to overcome it and from I was so surprised that a lot of men and especially on LinkedIn in you know in public comments saying thanks for giving us the name I've actually had this for years and I never knew what it was. Well it's definitely something I think I would say even higher than 70% of us uh, have experienced it and in a way I'm thinking about it more 30 percent if i'm honest you know yeah. who percent who don't get it that's that's you know, surprising psychopaths and they're the, the <laughs> they don't they have other stuff going on for them but in, in a way it's almost a good thing to get imposter syndrome because yeah. I, I would imagine if you're getting it it means you're probably in a position that you feel god how did i get here i might be good enough but you got there something you've done is obviously put you there in a good way so it's almost again looking at it from a different angle and saying this well, is this is a good thing. There's a couple of points I would say from it for it being a good thing. First of all, it shows that you're getting out of your comfort zone. So oftentimes if you're happily sitting within your comfort zone, you're not going to feel imposter syndrome because you're not doing anything different than what you've already been doing a lot of the time. If you're growing and if you're developing and if you're really pushing yourself, then you're definitely going to feel imposter syndrome. And the other point is kind of going back to what I touched on earlier about the idea of humility. So 
it shows a level of humility. It shows that you don't, you don't have all the answers. You don't think that you know everything and you don't think that you're better than everyone else. And that's, that's endearing to other people. So if you can show that level of humility and level of vulnerability, and especially when it comes to teamwork. So it's, um, is a Peter Lencioni, I think, um, talks about teams and being humble, hungry, humble and smart. So hungry is like desire to succeed and to be successful. Um, humble then is this whole idea of, of showing a level of humility and not thinking that you're better than ever everyone else and smart then is people smart it's it's having that emotional intelligence to be able to interact and deal with other people no i definitely think it's uh the vulnerability and you know you don't want anyone on your team that has an arrogance thinking that they're they're all that and they deserve everything that's coming for them and, and more so no i think it's it's a good thing in lots of ways i noticed that you've also got a distinction in coaching ethics and yeah. practice and maybe ethics is a value for you potentially as well what drew you to that specific area um that was one of the things that drew me to the coaching diploma that i did so it was kind of an add-on that we could have done and strangely enough out of a class of 17 people i was the only person who went on to do that it's a qqi level six um, i i think i didn't really realize the the implications or i didn't realize the amount of effort that was required um, and and I, I'm trying to think before I applied for the coaching diploma, did I assume that it was all tied in together, that you do the diploma and you get a QQI level six qualification as part of that. But as it turns out, it was kind of a, an, an added something that was added on. So I think we had um, maybe four or six weeks to complete some additional essays um, around ethics and, and putting together a coaching practice and how to do that ethically especially given that coaching is not a regulated industry. Anyone can say that they're a coach. They don't have to have training. They don't have to have any specific qualifications. It's not regulated in any way. It's not checked. There are some global organizations who monitor it and you can join those organizations. And I suppose I was looking at it from both sides. And if you think of it from, from a consumer's perspective, you know, they as a consumer, who are you going to go with? You're probably going to go with someone who's recommended by a friend. You're not necessarily going to go with someone. So it was, I suppose it was looking at it, on the one hand, it's important to have regulations and it's important to have these bodies that are monitoring coaching standards. But on the other hand, how important is that to a consumer? Are they checking up who has what qualifications and how is their coaching implemented and, and what what qualifications or what experience does someone have as a coach before they say that they're a coach? Well, I think so. And I agree. And I think from doing, I'm qualified with the ICF and I've done my ACC accreditation and there's obviously a code of ethics with any coaching body and adhering to them and fully understanding them adds credibility and I guess even more a higher level of trust with somebody that, that is very clear on what's ethical and what isn't. So I think there's a there's a good advantage to to going with that one for you. It stands out from from my perspective there. And anyway, the area of resilience. So in in your business, uh, you've been doing it for how how long are you out uh, out on your own at the moment? Um, so I left my job in March of last year, and I set up business in March this year. So I was unemployed for a year, and I set up the business then in March. Um, but I mean, realistically speaking, I was finishing off assignments and things for the masters till may 
in relation to setbacks though even pushbacks or failures or as i think you mentioned you know a client not showing up how have you learned to deal with some of that and what are your maybe tools to to get back up and, and move forward again yeah that's a, i mean that's a great question um i tend to be the kind of person i just i just go for it a lot of the time i just take these giant leaps there are obviously days where i wake up and i just think i just don't want to get out of bed today and just don't feel like i'm in the humor and it's really about remembering the successes that I've had. So that's the first thing is, you know, keeping a bank of like, what are all the successes that I've had in my business so far? And not even in my business, in my life, what what's what kind of positive feedback am I getting? I'm getting positive feedback from friends. I'm getting positive feedback from clients. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting positive reinforcement, I suppose, from lots of other areas as well in terms of the opportunities that are opening up to me, especially since I started the podcast. Um, So that's one element to it. Another element is remembering that it's not about me. It's about the people I serve and it's about who I can help. And if I'm miserable and I'm staying in bed all day, then I'm helping fewer people to overcome their, their own problems or to understand themselves. So they're the kind of I suppose the, the two things that I really think of, it really helps to remember to, um, you know, if well, planning obviously is really good and being a kind of a structured person <laughs> that really helps me as well. Uh, and especially planning for contingency. So things definitely taking longer than they should, but getting out of the house, cause I often work from home. And so getting out of the house, whether it's going for a walk, going to a cafe for a coffee, meeting a friend for lunch, or it could be I have um, a co-working space not too far away, about 10 minute drive away, going there and just connecting with other people. So rather than just being on your own, just like kind of finding that connection, I suppose. And that would probably fall into your your wheel of life and some of the, the components you want to kind of keep ticking boxes off on a, on a weekly basis to keep the balance. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Very good. It all ties together. Aoife, Aoife, look, I'm conscious of time and I know we've touched on some really good stuff there that I hope folks will take something from. We've flown through 40 minutes. As as you know yourself as a podcaster, that goes very quickly. Um, one question, though, around, around your podcast, you have, I think, about 11 or so episodes out now. Yeah, so latest episode came out today, and uh, episode 11. Um, yeah. What's your biggest learning of the whole experience so far? Um, just ask, uh, really just ask if you want to do something, just ask for it. And um, there was a couple of people who I interviewed and I thought this person is never going to say yes, but I'm going to ask them anyway. And I asked and they said, yes. Um, and that's been, I think a huge learning for me because, you know, you make these assumptions, but at the end of the day, we're all human, you know, we're all just people, you know, these, these people that I asked who, who I thought wouldn't say yes. They weren't, you know, they're not thinking to themselves, I'm, I'm hugely successful. Why would I ever go on a podcast that's still reasonably new? And um, they, they were just like, they were delighted to share their story and, and connect with another human on a human level. And getting over, getting over your own limiting beliefs in a way there, you know, so yeah. there's a self-coaching element to it as well. And I, I can only agree with you there for sure. What's next for Aoife? What's coming up over the next few weeks and months? Um, so I have um, podcast guests lined up till the end of the year. So the, the podcast is out every week, actually. So every Friday it's out. It's called Happier at Work. And 
I would love to hear if anyone has any specific questions that they'd like answered or any topics that they'd like covered. Um, I try and have kind of a broad range of topics that are really relevant to how people can thrive better at work. I'm running a workshop in the new year as well on goal setting with a fellow coach, Tracy Garrity, on the 9th of January, and that's happening in Dublin. Uh, we have a venue in mind, but it's still TBC at this stage. But, um, there, you know, anyone will find out details on my website. Uh, it's going to be up on Eventbrite as well pretty soon as well. And that's thinking about going into a new decade. And if you can believe it, because I re- I'm like 10 years. How did that 10 years fly by? Um, we're about to go into a new decade. It's a new year. It's a new decade. What are you you know, what's your vision for that decade? How, how did the last decade go? And really looking at that looking at limiting beliefs around, you know, what what you've said that you want to do goal-wise and you haven't been able to achieve yet. And um, so people can find out about that there uh, through the website, which is empowermentcoaching.ie. I'm also all over socials. I'm on um, Facebook. I've got a YouTube channel. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter on, under, on empowerment underscore IE. Brilliant. I'll put all that in the, the notes as always. Aoife and hopefully folks will reach out you're based in Dublin primarily Dublin primarily but I work with people all over Ireland and all over the world online yeah the brilliance and beauty of internet and the ability to connect with everyone so so much thanks for taking the 45 minutes or so out Aoife it was great to hear your stories great to connect with you properly and look forward to sharing this one in the next few weeks Brilliant, yeah. No, really, really enjoyed that. Thanks so much. Thanks a million. So this is the outro of the podcast, guys. You got to the end, and that is great. Please hang in here for another couple of minutes. I know most people won't, but maybe there's something here of interest. So check this out. First off, thanks so much for listening to this one, as well as maybe the hundred or so that's gone before it. Why not check them out if you haven't already? There's lots of good stuff in there. The whole podcasting journey for me has been a huge learning and I'm trying to help you guys learn and improve as well. So much has changed over the last few years since I started it. I've really realized lots of the goals that I put out there and then realized so many unexpected benefits as well. And I think anytime you take on action towards a goal you're going to pick up lots of things that you didn't expect along the way and hopefully they're good things in this particular episode was there any one or two things that jumped out maybe you could take a pen and paper out right now because this is something that you might think of during the episode but never do do it now take it out write down a goal that you're going to set yourself as a result of something you learned from this episode put a plan in place and then work towards it applying yourself deliberately over time take ownership build a habit improve get one percent better share accountability with somebody you know in a buddy system and learn and grow and improve that's what it's all about that's my hopefully inspirational piece done other areas to note check out the website robofthegreen.ie you can consume everything there for free there is obviously the podcast there's video one minute monday clips there's articles Uh, not enough but i'd like to put more there if you're interested in putting one there let me know and there's a get better at page which i'm starting to add new content to over time there's a feedback page if you want to email me rob at rob of the instead but it's all about trying to engage you and get you to a place of improvement so i'm open to feedback as i said ways you can help me is by following me on the socials at rob of the is the website or at rob of the green on all the social platforms subscribe to the podcast on any of the 
apps that you might listen to it on talk about it tell a friend about it tell your family members about it share some of the ideas not only to your friends but to me is there anything i can improve upon sign up to the newsletter that's there as well i'm experimenting again with a group called slack rob of the green on slack this is really for a shared accountability environment and sharing ideas you can sign up to that on the website as well all of this is obviously all free but there is also an option where you could subscribe to my patreon site and make a small donation for the content that we do it's there it's totally up to you everything that is coming in through that or could come in through that will go into making the podcast better so to close i am always trying to improve and get better change is difficult i know that but it's all about taking the first step learning something applying yourself moving forward you can do this i've been able to improve pushing myself outside the comfort zone learning and i think if i can do it so can you don't overreach don't set yourself unrealistic goals one percent at a time is enough but it's all about starting and that will bring you on your pursuit of betterness to a great place. Thanks for sticking to the very end. Talk to you next time and take care. Good luck.